Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 10 with Pastor John King. Happy Mother's Day again to all you moms out there. Um, I apologize if uh, my voice is a little bit monotonous. Uh, you should hear how it sounds to me. But uh, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, cover our message for today. Um, today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. We're going to cover the entire chapter. It should only take us about three hours. And uh, by then I won't be able to talk. But uh, in any event, we'll be in Daniel chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 this morning. Uh, last week, you guys remember, we looked at Daniel's vision that was given to him by the angel Gabriel, known as the 70 weeks prophecy. And this is God's prophetic timeline for the nation Israel, responding, of course, to Daniel's intercessory prayer that he had humbled himself before the Lord and you know, really cried out to the Lord. And we're learning some lessons about prayer through this, through this study. Now this week, as we enter into the final three chapters of Daniel, 10, 11, and 12, we're going to see a pattern that's similar. If you've been paying close attention, you'll notice that there's been a sort of a pattern going on. Uh, in uh, the second and seventh chapters, you might recall that King Nebuchadnezzar had this great vision of this great statue with the multiple you know, uh, elements, the, uh, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the clay. Then in chapter 7, that idea of the nations of the world was expounded on. It was, it was continued, and then it was more fully explained in chapter 7. So chapter 2 and chapter 7 work together. Now we're going to see here in these 10th through the 12th chapters a similar pattern. Um, the 8th chapter, as you recall a couple weeks ago, you had the ram and the goat, the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. And these were two of the Middle Empires. And so now we're going to get a further explanation, if you will, all the way through chapter 12 of, of that whole idea. Not really the idea, but it's going to be a more fuller understanding of prophecy as it occurred and as it will occur in our world. But interesting for today, here in chapter 10, we also are going to get a very rare glimpse, if you will, of what takes place in the spiritual realm. Because, you know, you and I, we're so captivated by the world and the natural and our physical. And we oftentimes forget that there's a spiritual realm. And the Bible is going to reveal that today. What happens where God and the forces of darkness, God's angels and the forces of darkness, Satan and his angels, are kind of going at it behind the scenes. And so we get to see that. The, the, the word of the Lord reveals that to us today. But uh, anyway, before I go any further, let's, let's pray for the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this study today, Lord. We thank you for what it brings to us, Lord. Your word is, is truth. It changes our lives. It causes us to think more closely, more intimately about our walk with you. Your word challenges us. Your word speaks to us in a way that only it can. It challenges our, not only our intellect, but most importantly, our conscience, you know, the law that was placed on our heart, Lord, you, you make that come alive in our hearts and our minds when we hear your word. And so, Lord, may, it do, may you do your thing again. May you do what only you can do and speak to our hearts and teach us, Lord. 
We pray this all now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, you notice we didn't read the entire chapter up front. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, but we are going to do little segments. So the first part is verses 1 through 3. And we see here that Daniel is mourning. He's mourning. It reads, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2, Now in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till the whole three weeks were fulfilled. So here we are. It's again, you know, Daniel's book is really good at bringing us into the historical context. And so here we see it was the third year of King Cyrus, the great Persian ruler, King Cyrus. And the year was, and we'll, we'll explain later, was 536 B.C., now, for nearly three years after Cyrus had conquered Babylon, uh, many believe that this time frame also coincides with the time that Daniel was put into the lion's den in chapter 6. But another thing that happened during this time, during this year, was the first wave of exiles, 50,000 of them approximately, were allowed to return to Jerusalem and start to rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. And you can read about that in Ezra 1 and 5. And so here's Daniel in the third year of Cyrus, and he says, a message was revealed. Uh, your King James Version says, a thing was revealed. And we'll, under, we'll, we'll learn here why it's a thing. Now, notice also that Daniel, at this point, just the first verse, he's kind of writing in the third person. And then he says, the message, he says several things about the message. First of all, he says, the message was true. Now, I'll just say up front, we don't know exactly what the message was. And, and we're going we're gonna to go into that a little bit. But the message that he did receive was true. You know, this is a message from heaven. So heaven, you know, the words of the Lord do not lie. So it's, the message was true. It's a sure thing. The appointed time of this prophecy was long. It was hard. It was long. And, and we'll see, as we go through chapters 11 and 12, we'll see that this was, covers a, a wide swath of history, if you will, and also looks at future history. There were a lot of difficulties and there were a lot of struggles for the nation Israel in the future. And yet to come, actually. But he said... And he, notice Daniel, and he understood the message. And he had understanding of the vision. And because he had this message was true, he received it from God, it bothered him. And what did he do? He reacted by mourning and, and sort of restricting his diet. It wasn't a real fast. It was kind of restricting his diet. But he says in verse 2, in those days... I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. Now remember that, because that's going to come back to give us a deeper understanding near the end of this chapter. Three full weeks he was in mourning. He was lamenting and letting God know about it in prayer. 
In verse 12, we're going to notice that the messenger from heaven comes and says, you know what, your words have been heard. And again, we continue to learn lessons about prayer and how God reacts to our prayers. So you say, well, what was the message? Most, if not all, scholars believe that Daniel, because of his position working in the government, for those of you who work in the government, you see things that only you get to see or certain people get to see, memos, information. Um, Daniel worked in the highest uh, parts of the government and he had access to all the official records of the, the, you know, what was going on in this great you know, um, empire. And he probably, this is where we need to be clear, he probably saw the reports that the construction of the temple in Jerusalem had stopped due to opposition of the surrounding peoples. When we study Ezra and Nehemiah, we find that there is a lot of pushback to these exiles coming back to Jerusalem and starting to rebuild their temple and rebuild the streets as God ordained that they would do. There was a lot of pushback. There was internal pushback. There was fear. There was doubt. There was external pushback. There was work stoppage that went from anywhere from 10 to 16 years. You know how hard it is to get Jobs done nowadays, right? (laughs) Those of you who are trying to get work done. And there was a lot of problems going on. And this severe opposition that Daniel most likely was privy to understanding drove him to his knees in prayer. It drove him to his knees in prayer. He was deeply concerned. He was burdened and heartbroken for what was going on. And then he says in verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth. So he restricted his diet. Nor did I anoint myself at all. Three full weeks were fulfilled until three full weeks. This appointed time for him and what he was learning uh, was going to be difficult. When he says anoint myself, in the ancient world, and even in t- today, there, people use a lot of oils and lotions. You guys, ladies especially, maybe know what I'm talking about. But they lived in a very arid climate. They didn't have you know, air conditioning and humidifiers and stuff like that. And so there was a practice of rubbing themselves down with fragrant oils as relief from the dry, hot sun. And Daniel's like, you know what? I- I'm going to give up that for a little bit. I'm going to give up that, that privilege, that, uh, that luxury that I have because I'm so burdened for what's going on in our people. Now, you know, think about this as as we have been talking a lot about prayer, and you know we have our prayer service from 9.30 to 10. I would encourage you guys to come out for that. It's a great time, if you can make it, to come in and just show God what you think of Him. You know, sometimes as churches we can show the church what you think of it by our participation, but we need to show God what we think of him, the fact that we will come together and pray in his presence. But we need to keep saying yes. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And for you prayer warriors, you know who you are. You know the things that you've prayed for for months and weeks and even years. That prodigal, that relative, that child that brother or sister in the Lord, that husband, that wife. 
this, this sort of restriction, this fasting sort of keeps coming up when you notice Daniel in his habits. It's not required that we fast. In their Jewish culture, though, when they said prayer, it often they, they assumed that it also included some form of fasting. That's why they don't say it all the time. But spiritual warfare, and you guys know this, can be very hard service for us saints. It can be very hard. Psalm 105.4 says, you and I are to seek the Lord and his strength. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forevermore. Seek his face. We have a similar situation. We've had it going on for decades in our nation, but it seems to have risen to a critical state. I'll give you a heads up. We're, when we meet men, when we gather after church today, one of the things we're going to remind us is the fact that we need to be praying for our country. The severe oppression that he was seeing in his nation and what was going on, he had a, he had a great concern for his, his people. And it drove him to his knees and it put him in prayer. And guess what? God responded. Verses 4 through 9, a very interesting passage. This is the vision of a glorious man. The vision of a glorious man. It says, verse 4, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris River, now the 24th day of the first month, after three weeks of prayer, and we don't know why he was there, but we know where he was and when he was there. He says it was the 24th day of the first month. Chronologists will tell you, people who study dates and times of you know, ancient history, the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Remember the, the weeks, the years back then were 360-day years. This date in the book of Daniel can be cross-checked, according to one writer, with dates of surviving Persian records that can be related accurately to our modern calendar. They can kind of do the math, and then you can say with confidence that this event occurred on April 23rd, 536 B.C. And he says, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. You know, you, you've heard of the Tigris River. If you've, in, in, the, in the Bible, it's one of the four river heads that formed the river that watered the Garden of Eden. Remember in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. And then four rivers grew off of that garden, or off of that river. Today it flows from Turkey all the way through central Iraq and then joins the Euphrates and dumps into the Persian Gulf, the Tigris River, one of the great rivers of the Middle East. Genesis 2.14, the name of the third river is Hittichel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Hittichel is the Tigris River. And so he was, here he was on the 24th, day of the first month, and he says in verse 5, I lifted my eyes and I looked and beheld, or behold, <laughs> a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. So he had a belt of gold, and then this gold was an unknown place, but it was famous for its fine gold. But notice his body. It was like a barrel. 
It was a precious stone or a jewel. It's like a yellow jasper. And then his face, like the appearance of lightning, very bright. His eyes, like torches of fire, or New Living Translation, his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet of burnished bronze in color or polished brass. But the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Rushing and roaring sound. This was what Daniel saw. This was his vision. He's standing by this great river. And it says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Now, if they didn't see the vision, why did they run, run away and hide? This reminds us of another story in the New Testament. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, Acts 9, 3-7. As he journeyed, Paul, he came near Damascus when he was still Saul, and he suddenly a light shone on him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, and it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. But notice, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So, you know, sometimes God, in, in this case, Jesus, uh, for Paul, uh, Saul, he was revealed to him, but the people that were with him didn't have the full, you know, the full view. The full, they, didn't, they, they, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. Now, <laughs> look, folks. Any of us in a group of people, you either hear a voice or you see something and, uh, you know, it comes from heaven, you're going to stand there speechless. You'll probably be trembling quite a bit as well. And that's what Saul was doing. He was trembling and astonished. And so Daniel, they had a similar situation. It says, but a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Now, again, Why? Even though their physical senses didn't pick up on what Daniel saw, perhaps they heard and they felt the divine influence. I've talked to people that have told me that they've felt demonic influence in situations in life where there was perhaps demonic activity taking place and they could remember exactly the things that happened. So again, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to talk about spiritual things and, and kind of looking behind the curtain but, you know, we in our natural and science-based culture tend to discount that or forget about it. But even though their physical senses didn't pick up on what Daniel saw, they felt the divine influence and it was so intense that they ran away and hid. Every time you see this kind of thing happen in the Bible, you notice that it leaves the person either speechless or frightened. Verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me. Now again, an, a divine encounter with the supernatural, you look at what, he's, what is happening to him. He is being drained physically. For my vigor 
was turned to frailty in me. I retained no strength. Whatever handsome or healthy features he had, and he was a man of old age, was ruined through this experience at this time. It, was, it, draw, it, you know, it, just, it drew all of his life and made him very weak. In verse 9, Yet I heard the sound of his words, or King James Version, the voice of his words. Human speech was being said to him. He heard, you know, he heard what he was saying. Now, he doesn't repeat what he said. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. This, this so, you know, was such an amazing sight for him that it actually caused him to fall into a deep sleep. Uh, one, one writer put it this way, the stunning effect of awe and dread had caused him just to kind of pass out. He passed out. Okay, so here's, here's what we need to kind of have a, a little side discussion here, a little sidebar. I promise it won't be a very long rabbit trail, but you have to know that there is a debate in the church as to whether this glorious man, this divine person, was a pre-incarnate vision of Christ or not. You have to, you have, to have that discussion. So we're going to talk about, one, the case for Christ, not the same as the book that was written or the movie. But it, the case for that divine person being, uh, for, for Jesus being, because the, the appearance was very similar to what the Apostle John saw when he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and he wrote Revelation. Revelation 1, 10 through 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, he heard, he heard behind him a loud voice, you can see, and he says in verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches. Down into verse 13, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded with the ch about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like white wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. That's a very similar description to what we just saw in Daniel's vision. But we also ha have a case for this appearance of being simply an angelic being. Revelation also records a heavenly angel, not, not Christ, a heavenly angel with a very similar glorious description. Revelation 10.1, I, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So these, you know, these heavenly beings, these divine pictures that we get, little glimpses of in the Bible. So many Bible scholars believe that this being, this heavenly being, this glorious man, may have been Gabriel. Some say that Daniel saw the glorified Christ and then he heard the voice of Gabriel. And we'll, we'll kind of explain that as we go through. I'll give you a, a hint. If you think that the, the two are the same, which some do, they think that this, this vision that Daniel had and then the voice and the conversation he's about to have were Christ, then you've got to ask yourself, why did Christ need any help whatsoever in defeating the, uh, the forces of evil? So I'll just, I, there, there was an advance. I gave you a glimpse of where maybe where I stand on the issue. One, a person can make a pretty solid case for all these positions. But 
here's the question for you and I. What you know, difference does it make, really? And what effect does it have on us today? When you get into these little side discussions that you, you will have from time to time, you have to think about, okay, what difference does it make? Does it change the truth of the Bible? And, and you know, what effect does it have on us today? Well, with regard to prophecy, no, uh, there's nothing. None of the prophetic message uh, was changed. It all remains the same. The message is the same. How about curiosity? You know, again, we talk about curiosity. But keep in mind that curiosity, if it only makes us appear smarter with our Bible knowledge, okay, we need to be careful of that, then it's basically fruitless. It's basically fruitless. They're, they're fun discussions, you can have them. But here's how a better understanding can definitely produce fruit in our lives, a better biblical understanding. We're a Bible church, we teach the Bible. How? With our regard to the spiritual realm, our regard to the awareness of the spiritual realm. Because remember, we live in a very naturalistic, science, humanistic-based society, and we have for a very long time, called the postmodern society. You and I, need to re we need to maintain our awareness of the spiritual realm without getting weird. Can we do that? Yes. <laughs> The spiritual realm is every bit as real as the physical realm. Every bit as real. Scripture reminds us that we are in a battle every single day. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, Paul said it best. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, which we're going to see today. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily chew out Satan and, you know, cast a bunch of stuff upon him as though you're having a conversation with him. Sometimes you just put on the armor of God and you stand in the truth. You stand in the truth. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if you're a Christian leader... And I'm not talking about just pastors and teachers. I'm not talking about evangelists. I'm not talking about you know, people that have a very famous public Christian ministry. How about dads? How about moms? How about grandparents? How about mentors? How about disciple makers? You're all in leadership of one form or another to somebody who looks up to you in spiritual matters. There's a price to be paid by leaders, if, as Warren Wiersbe said, we're going to see and hear what God is saying to us. There's a price to be paid. Wiersbe writes, Daniel didn't have this great vision early in his ministry, but at the end of a long and faithful life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5.8. Spiritual leaders often see what others can't see and hear what they fail to hear. They must stand when others flee. 
They must receive God's message even if it makes them feel weak and helpless. This is good, good advice. By seeing the greatness and the glory of God, Daniel was prepared to accept and record the prophetic message that the angels brought and that you and I get to receive even today. It's going to cost you something if you really want to understand God's plan and what God is saying to you. It's going to cost you. Verses 10 through 21, we won't read. We go on to our final segment. Daniel now awakens. Remember, he was asleep. He was face down, passed out. And here he is, he awakens to God's messenger. In verse 10, it says, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. The divine encounter continues. Now, let's, let's ask ourselves the question again. Let's revisit that. Was this divine person that Daniel saw and heard, was it Jesus or an angel? Who is this hand now that is waking him up? At this point, if you, if you, I just want to inform you, at this point, most, almost all scholars believe that this was now the angel Gabriel, even though he's not being named. And so he says in verse 11, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. You see, he's receiving a heavenly message which was meant to strengthen Daniel and to build him up. And he needs it right now. This, you know, you're going to see. But notice he's greatly beloved. He's greatly desired by God. He's, he's saying, okay, now understand. In other words, pay attention to what I'm saying. You are greatly beloved. Now pay attention. Stand upright. Get up off the ground. And so while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. I was obedient to what God had said through this heavenly messenger. And then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to understand, excuse me, and to humble yourself, sorry, the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have, be I have come because of your words. So he says to him, do not be afraid. You know, you're... This, I'm a heavenly messenger, I've come. Do not be afraid. But from the time you set your heart, from the time you applied your heart to seek out God and to humble yourself, to be disciplined, he restricted his diet in this case, out of his true heart for others, your words were heard. Now that's important for you and I. That's a lesson for you and I on how to pray. Set your heart and seek out God. Purposely do this. Humble yourself. And if you and I will do this, even though we think the Lord's not hearing our prayers because the answer's not coming in our time or how we want to receive it, 
If we want God to hear our prayer, if we want to get together with the men after church and talk about getting together for a men's prayer, we need to set our heart upon God and we need to come humbly before him. <coughs> Not just the men, anybody who calls himself uh, a son or a daughter of God himself through Jesus. Now, verse 13. Now, the, here's a little glimpse of what's happening in the spiritual realm. He says, but, you know, here he was, your words have been heard, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Now, how long was Daniel in prayer? 21 days. How, how long was he mourning? 21 days, three weeks. See, now we see what goes on behind the scenes a little bit. When Daniel set his heart and started to mourn and to come before the Lord, this work started to happen. But this prince of Persia withstood this mighty angel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, a patron angel, a leader over a certain realm, a fallen angel. So now we're talking about there is a hierarchy within the spiritual realm, both within, among the angels of God and the angels of Satan. And it says, he withstood me, meaning to rise up as a foe. He, he withstood me. So you have this angelic warfare, these fallen angels who oppose God's angels. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. This angel needed the help of Michael, the archangel. Very You don't see it very often in the Bible where angels have a name associated with them. Now, who is Michael? Well, his, his name means one who is, excuse me, like God, one of or the chief of the first archangel who is described as one who stands in the time of conflict for the children of Israel. He had, apparently he has a, a certain spiritual authority that God has given him over the, the uh, children of Israel. And he's called one of the chief princes. So he's described as an archangel, which, which means chief of angels. We see Michael being mentioned in a couple other passages. One is Jude 1.9. It says, yet Michael the archangel, you see that. In contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there's a little mini lesson in that, that you know, we, don't, we don't wrestle directly with the devil himself. And instead, he said, we put Jesus between us and the evil forces. And he said, notice he said, the Lord rebuke you. But that's, that's a, uh, another day, another study. Also in Revelation 12, 7 and 9, we see a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon, Satan, was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who, received, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now this happens during the Great Tribulation. So among all the crazy stuff that's going on during the Great Tribulation, you actually have Satan himself being sent down to the earth, and he's not happy about it. Not at all. So if you think you want to go through the Tribulation, 
I don't know about that. And it says, and he came to help me. Now, if this original, if this, if this is the same person, this glorious man and then the, the hand that touched Daniel, if it is and you do hold the position that that is Jesus Christ, then the question is, is why would he need any help whatsoever in defeating the powers of darkness? He doesn't. But he says, at the end of that, he says, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So this Gabriel was detained in a spiritual battle. Now, one thing we, we see when we read the Bible, we know that they fight, but they're spiritual beings. We don't know what kind of like weapons they have, you know, other than probably the word of God. But, you know, it's, it doesn't get into that kind of a detail, but that doesn't change the fact that the spiritual realm is very real. To sum it up, one writer put it this way, for 21 days, the demonic prince of Persia had resisted God's angel delaying the delivery of the answer to Daniel's prayer. As the conflict and delay continued, God finally sent Michael, one of the chief angelic princes to heaven, to help the angel combat the demonic forces of Satan. Soon thereafter, the angel was able to leave the combat long enough to bring God's answer to Daniel. In verse 14, he says, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. And that's where we're going to cover in chapters 11 and 12. Very specific. He says, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Future for Daniel. And then verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Again, Daniel's dumbstruck. You know, he's, he, he just can't take it all in. I mean, the, the gravity of this vision has just kind of made him speechless and dumbstruck. And so notice what happens with the, uh, with the angel. It says in verse 16, and suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. You know, this reminds us how he works with God's prophets. Jeremiah 1.9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put words in your mouth. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, verse 16, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. So he's, got, he's full of distress. He's full of anxiety. And then he continues in verse 17. You know, how can this servant of my Lord even talk to you now? He's recognizing how feeble he is. As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Daniel was totally without physical strength. He was breathless and speechless. Remember, it's going to cost you something to come before and hear what the Lord is saying. We're just kind of seeing this play out. Then again, he, the one having a likeness of a man, verse 18, touched me and strengthened me. He restored his health. Now this reminds you of you know, a boxer near the end of a fight that he's losing or perhaps on the verge of winning and the trainer keeps having to ice him down and give him smelling salts. You know, get back in the fight. Stay in the fight, Daniel. Don't give up. And that's what he's doing here. It's kind of amazing, actually. Verse 19, and he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Repeating heaven's message. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. How often do we say, don't forget God's promises? When you're weary and you're tired and you're fearful and you think nothing's working out in your life, 
Oh man, oh woman, greatly beloved, fear not. Those are the words from heaven. Peace to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Shalom. Peace with God, in other words. Be strong to restore his strength. And so when I spoke to, to uh, excuse me, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And he said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Sometimes that's what we need when we do this spiritual battle, this prayer on behalf of others. We need to be strengthened by the Lord. And, it, and when we do sense that the Lord has indeed strengthened us, it's not just a sense. It's tangible and it's genuine. You guys know what I'm talking about. Verse 20, then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Now again, he's, he's given him some prophecy here. Um, now in verse 14, he says, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. So he's, he's trying to get Daniel to kind of wake up be strengthened and be, remind him, do you know why I'm even here? You know, do you know why I had to leave that battle I was in you know, for 21 days to come give you this message? But he says, but now I must return to fight the prince of Persia and when I have gone forth. Because he says, I'm going to fight this demonic force. And then he says, indeed, the prince of Greece will also come or will come. This is uh, referring to the demonic forces behind the rising Greek empire under Alexander the Great. See, we need to remember, not only do we need to recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on in, in a realm that we cannot see, but every government in the world and all throughout history that wasn't on the side of God, guess who was running that government? Satan. It's demonic. Even though, you know, you could be the greatest, uh, you know, country on earth, the most benevolent, but if it's not of God, it's of Satan. And so after he finishes battling this prince of Persia, the angel will have to do battle with the prince of Greece. So again, he's, he's kind of telling Daniel, this is what I, you know, you should see what I have to do. <laughs> you, you want to see what my life is like, let me tell you. But notice in verse 21, he says, uh, interesting verse. He says, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Now, what is he talking about there? <coughs> the scripture of truth. This is a writing with divine authority, but it's not the Bible. It's evidently it's like the heavenly playbook that God's warrior is using in this spiritual battle. But it's, it's, not, it's not the Bible. It's divine authority. And, uh, you know, a lot of books are mentioned in the Bible. We're going to learn more about those when we get to heaven. We have the book here, God's Word, what He's revealed to us. It's fully, it's complete. It's finished. But we're all, there's also a lot of information. So we're getting a, a very interesting look behind the scenes at the spiritual reality, the spiritual realm. And he says, no one, no one can uphold me. In other words, no one can come and, and fight this battle without Michael. So they rely on one another. It's very interesting. So as we close, let's just, um, let's kind of, let's just remind ourselves of some important things that we can take away from this. One is that you and I, we need to keep our spiritual eyes open. The postmodern society we live in, as I said earlier, sees only 
the natural sciences king, the flat screen rules. They have geopolitical agendas that scream about human rights and global climate change, but the system they propose, which they've very, very carefully been working on, this global government, will never, ever respect human dignity the way the God of the Bible does. He declares that every person is created in his image. He also declares that his creation can only be brought to its end under his sovereign oversight. Look at Genesis 8, 20 through 22. Genesis 8, and I'm not saying we should not be, um, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's the end of it, but I'm not, I'm not saying we should not take care of our environment, but we need to recognize who created all of this and who is sovereign over it. Uh, it says in Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering to the altar. Then verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart. Again, this is a covenant that God has with the earth. It says, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. This is after the flood. And then he says in verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So, you know, the counterfeit answer to society's problems, the humanist approach to society's problems, and one of them you know, yes, we need to be good stewards of our environment. But they try to play that upon us because it's a worldly view. They have no, I, you know, they either they choose to ignore, but they don't realize that there's a spiritual aspect, of a whole spiritual world that's out there. And God is going to reveal himself in a very powerful way someday. And there's going to be a lot of wake-ups going on then. So we need to keep our spiritual eyes open we need to remember that if we deny the reality of spiritual warfare, the enemy can blind you along with the rest of humanity. The social sciences, the psychologists, they'll tell you this is a bunch of noise. There's no such thing as demons. There's no such thing as the devil. If you allow the world to blind you to that, then you're going to be blind in certain aspects with the rest of humanity living apart from God's saving grace. It's what keeps people from wanting to become Christians because they believe the lie that there is nothing supernatural. But for you and I, we need to persist in prayer. We need to live out our faith no matter what the cost is. <clears throat> now we're, we're on the topic and we're going to be going in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about history. I like what Dr. Harry Ironside said about prophecy. Prophecy is history pre-written. History is prophecy fulfilled. And all history is his story. So Lord, we, we just want to remind one another, stay in the word, stay in prayer, and serve your king. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we ask that you would go before us as we uh, conclude our service for today. Lord, we thank you that you have given us um, your word with which we can um, 
learn more about you. Thank you for the glimpse that you've given us to the reality of the spiritual realm. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing here in this church. Thank you, Lord, that the words of, of Paul, for we know that we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Lord, we want to we follow in obedience with you. We want to stay in your word. We want to stay in prayer. We want to do the battle that's necessary to hear from you. And Lord, would you equip us to do that? We thank you, Lord, for, for all that you've done today. We thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. We thank you for protecting us and all the families that are represented here at Calvary Chapel. Please go before us now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people say. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line.